Please be seated. Good morning, Village Church East. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church. Uh, that last song, we've been singing that a little bit over the past couple of weeks because it's just, uh, every time I hear it, I hear those, almost a, a new a new angle to it, a new, new words uh, each time, and uh, learning to love that song. So thanks for including that uh, with us today. For those of you that are online, I apologize that you didn't get the whole, uh, you, you got moving figures, but no sound. It was almost like you were back in the 40s. Uh, so I uh, uh, apologize for that. We had some technical difficulties, but hopefully everything is copacetic at this point. I think that it is. Today I'm going to do something different than I've ever done before. In 30 plus years of ministry, I've never done something like this before. I was telling uh, the, the team beforehand, it could be the best thing I've ever done, or it could be the worst thing you've ever experienced. But it's going to be one of the two, I promise. There is no room in between for anything else, all right? So I hope that, uh, hope that it comes across uh, in such a way. I, I wanted to really, really move toward this idea of encouragement for our last Sunday in this mini-series that we're doing together. Last week we talked about Barnabas, who was an incredible encourager for the church, an incredible encourager for the apostles and the leadership, an incredible encourager just for people that were in need. We talked about all of that. I love doing that little study on Barnabas, but this week I wanted to do something a little bit more uh, impactful to where we are today. So here's what I decided to do. I'm calling this encouragement in crisis. It's called encouragement in crisis for two reasons, a little play on words. Encouragement in the middle of crisis, which we all would like, amen, but encouragement in crisis because it's awfully difficult to find nowadays. Encouragement is in crisis. So what I decided to do was, when this whole crisis started, the pandemic started, we had, I was in a little bit of crisis. We had to all of a sudden do church without meeting. I'd never done that before in my entire life. Michael calls me up. I'm literally standing in the middle of a stream, taking some time to myself. He calls me up. Pray to God I wouldn't get cell reception. But so, it so happened that in this one part of the stream, my phone rings. So I pick it up. It's Michael. He said, here it is, Craig. We've got to be completely online by Sunday. I'm going, what do you mean online? What is this on streaming stuff that you're talking about? He said, we've got to take everything online because the, the powers that be just said, no one's meeting anymore. So I'm thinking to myself, fishing day is over. What I did for this message today was I went back to the first sermon that we did online. I read it over again. I read through my notes. I, I wonder how many of us actually heard it because we were all in panic mode at that time. And I read through it and I was amazed at how applicable it is, not just back then, but also today. And the theme of that message was encouragement. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, how different has our world gotten in the last 18 months? It's been 18 months since we've been riding this roller coaster. 18 months. Are we more encouraging as a church? Are we more encouraging as a world? Is, is our culture more encouraging or have we gone in the other direction? And it seems to me, I don't mean to be a pessimist, but it seems to me that it is more difficult to find encouragement these days than it ever has been in the past. So what I did was I wanted to take, work through my notes from, from 18 months ago, and I want to talk to those who have had to deal with all of the changes that they've experienced through this pandemic. For some, life has become an adjustment. For some, life has become more fearful. For some, life has just been 
a difficult place to find encouragement anywhere. And for some, even in their own households, encouragement has become almost obsolete. The way people have, leaders have chosen to maneuver through this pandemic has caused some to change their jobs, caused some to lose their livelihoods, caused some to change the way that they school their children or whether they send their children to school at all or keep them home, caused some to change the way they plan for the future. It's caused huge divisions in our society. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but every problem is blamed on the pandemic. Oh, you don't have this was because of the pandemic. You, 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 you lack this is because of the pandemic. And in our society, we've, we've almost created this brand new 18-month-later society where we're forced to choose sides like we used to do in the Civil War times. Decide which side you are on. And be, based on whatever side you choose, we're going to have a conversation or we're not going to talk. Not at least to say the pandemic has stolen members of households from their families. 700 plus thousand people have died in, uh, according to the statistics that we're told. This pandemic has changed us. It's changed, and we knew that it would. I mean, when's the last time you couldn't find toilet paper on the shelves, right? And, and it could happen again, yeah. yesterday. <laughs> so, so history repeats itself. I walked into a public building last week, and I forgot my mask. I, I didn't mean to forget my mask. I just did. I walked in this public building. It was in another city of which I shall not name. The manager comes right up to me, tells me to put on a mask. And if I don't have one, because I explained to her that I didn't have one, I forgot mine. It was in my car, and I didn't have it. She said, then you can wear one of ours. So I said, okay, fine. And so I was putting on my mask, and then I pointed out to her, that some of the other people around didn't have masks, and I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. I just didn't realize it, and I'm pointing out. And she, she looked at me, and she said, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. Now put on your mask, or I'm going to kick you out of here. And I'm thinking to myself, we just went from zero to 60 in three seconds or, or less. I, I, I mean, there's no treating like human beings anymore. There's no explanation. There's, you do what I tell you to do, or you're out. We're not going to have a conversation. <laughs> and there was this there was this little old guy behind the counter he was wearing a mask and he he starts piping i don't I, he didn't even work there he starts piping and he says toss him out of here i'm going i don't know you <laughs> what, what do you have to do with this conversation it almost seems impossible to get in conversations any longer that different viewpoints are expressed like civilized human beings and a loving word or an empathetic heart forget about it those are really hard to find these days especially on you, if you disagree on something. And for some reason, it's so difficult for us to remember history. This hasn't always been like this. It's, it, it's kind of like we live in a world. Can you remember 20 months ago? It's, it's hard for me to remember how things were. I mean, I know encouragement was hard to find back then, but now it just seems gone. So today I want to take you back in time. I reread my notes and found out that what we talked about on that first church video, that streaming session, may be more important even for today. Here's the opening thought I had back then. I give it to you one more time. I want to encourage you to remember that while things constantly change for us, they never take God by surprise. That's what we talked about 18 months ago. And that's what we need to keep reminding ourselves. 
Although things take us by surprise, they never take God by. God never wakes up one day and goes, I didn't see that coming. Doesn't happen. Whatever we go through, he is there with us. It does not surprise him. Here's how the message went on from there. I was watching my life change, my family's life change, my church's life change, and I had to get alone with the Lord, away from all of this. So I went fishing. I remember driving home Monday night, so this would be 18 months ago, Monday night. I remember driving home Monday night after that day in the stream and I had a bit of a panic attack. I began catching up with the news on the radio and was finding out how things were changing. Everything got dumped in one load at one time. Everything changed. Businesses were going to close. The stock market lost 3,000 points in one day. Our church would cease to meet in person indefinitely. Village Church would launch a plan to take our folks that needed to be cared for in multiple ways, in a brand new way, without actually seeing one another. My heart, I think, I wrote, my heart, I think, literally broke knowing that I would not see you for an uncertain amount of time. And on top of that, on this day, that this dump happened on the radio and I hear about all of these things happening, I also found out that my mom was really, really sick and I wasn't gonna be able to go see her. No airlines. For the first time in all this pandemic reality, this was in March now, we had talked about pandemic realities a couple of weeks before this, the the clamp happened, clampdown happened. First time in all this pandemic reality, I, I said last year, I really felt fear. It was seriously a terrible feeling. My hands tightened around the steering wheel, my my heart raced, and I felt like somebody took a shovel and dug a hole where my heart should have been. So I knew that I needed to refocus, but my imagination took over, (laughs) because I'd never experienced this before. Everything was going to change, and I'd never experienced it before. My imagination took over like, what is going to happen now? John, I called one of our elders. John sent me this quote from Seneca that I really learned to love. Seneca was a first century Roman philosopher and here's what it says. There are many more things likely to frighten us than there are to crush us. We suffer more often in our imagination than in reality. So I had to run back to what I knew about God. This is what I have a tendency to do when my life goes in crisis mode and last year when I went into that panic mode in that car, I still remember what is to come. My imagination took over and I thought, I had to run to the Lord. And here's the verse that God put into my mind, Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Church, would you read this with me? But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. God's word has the unique power of tearing away like an onion all of the outside influences that seek to press on us and reveal to us what's really going on, where we can really stand. Make it simple. I had to be reminded that as one trusts to follow Jesus Christ, I have been equipped to go through such a time as this. Let me say that one more time. I had to learn and be reminded that as 
one person learns to trust and rely on Jesus Christ, I have been equipped to go through such a time as this. And as so many times in my life before, God's word brought, brought my heart to a place of encouragement. And so I bring you to the passage of scripture that we talked about 18 months ago. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting verse 1. Before we read this, let me give you a little bit of background as to what's going on. Paul, the apostle, is Timothy's spiritual father. Timothy is really the mentee. The, the, Paul is the mentor of Timothy. Timothy has been learning how to be a pastor from Paul. Paul, one of Paul's favorite churches, was a church at Ephesus. And so Paul says, you know what? I'm just the guy to be a pastor for you. Because Paul was more of a missionary. He was setting up churches. So as Paul traveled around, he needed to leave qualified, equipped people in charge of these churches. The church in Ephesus, one of the ones closest to his heart, he leaves one of the people closest to his heart. He leaves Timothy. In fact, he starts off the letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy with these words, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Don't you love that? Paul had a heart for Timothy and a heart for this church. He pushes them together, and Timothy becomes the pastor at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was in persecution. Ephesus was in the middle of pretty terrible persecution. They were in a world that was full of crisis, and they were learning to live together as a church. Nobody had ever learned about this Christianity thing, and so they had to learn to live together. So if you want a good book to read through about how to live with one another, Ephesians is a really good place to start. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, here's how the church gets along, operates as a family, and becomes an influence in the culture around them. This is in the book of Ephesians. By the time we get to 1 Timothy, this is the letter Paul writes to Timothy, who's pastoring Ephesus. This is the letter that he writes. It's one of the last letters that Paul writes. Paul is in chains in Rome, and as we know, we don't hear from him after Rome. Church tradition says he was killed in Rome. Paul writes his favorite pastor, Timothy, as he sits in shackles in Rome. He knew his days were numbered, and he knew Timothy would be alone. So this is a pastor writing to a pastor with words of encouragement. First Timothy, second Timothy, words of encouragement to this young pastor. And the emphasis of these two, these two books in scripture, the emphasis that Paul the apostle writes to his young son in the faith, this young pastor, on how to get through crisis with the church is, you are equipped to do this. You can do this. You are equipped for crisis. Can I just tell you something? The church risks complacency when it's surrounded by comfort. The church risks complacency when it's surrounded by comfort. Our prayers become, more, become less about seeing the people around us get saved, come to Jesus, and more about our own comfort. The church risks complacency when it's surrounded by comfort. The church grows when it goes through crisis. Crisis gives the church the opportunity to do what the church was meant to do, be salt and light in a tasteless and dark world. 
This is what the church is meant to do. This is what we are here for. This is why God doesn't save us and take us right to heaven. He leaves us here so that we can be salt. Salt brings taste to a tasteless world. And light, light brings light to the dark. Salt and light shine in the darkness. This is the church's opportunity to do what we were called to do. And this is, by the way, everything that I said last year, 18 months ago. These are the almost identical words that I said back then. This is the way that I challenged you last year. I said, Village Church, we have been training and equipping you for years for such a time as this. This is our opportunity to shine. In the middle of crisis, and this pandemic has, has proven to be more of a crisis than I thought it would be because our world has changed so drastically in such a short amount of time. This is our chance to put into action all of the things that we have learned and to, be, and to do it in creative ways. Can we really be the church? Listen to this now. Can we really be the church? Can we really be God's instruments of grace to those who are separated, to those who are alone, to those who are uncertain of the future, and to those who are afraid. That is verbatim what I said 18 months ago. Let me tell you this one more time, because isn't it applicable for where we're at today? This is the same message. I know it seems like, well, Craig, you're doing the same message. What did you do with the, the, the rest of your week this week? I'm just blown away by this message. Can we really be the church to our communities when our communities feel separated, alone, uncertain of the future, and afraid. That's what we were challenged with 18 months ago. How have we done? You think that's interesting? This is a statement that followed that 18 months ago. Here's the warning. Oppressed and suffering communities either turn away from one another or lean into each other. Can you believe that that was a quote from 18 months ago? Now let me ask you, church, has that proven to be true or what? Oppressed and suffering communities either turn away from each other or they lean into each other. So I take you to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 2. The first chapter of 1 Timothy is awesome. Paul is encouraging this young pastor in the, in the faith how to be a pastor in the middle of crisis. Paul reminds Timothy to keep his head in the middle of persecution, in the middle of crisis. And then we get to chapter two. And you know how chapter two starts? Here's the first verse. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made, no, be made for all people. I love it that he says, first of all. When you start a sentence and you say, first of all, you kind of want people to, 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 to listen up, right? Otherwise, why would you say it? Okay, first of all, this is important. First of all, here's where I want to start. This, this is where, this is my starting point. This is really important. First of all, and then what does Paul say? I urge that you what? Pray. Pray. Pretty simple, right? Pray. Pray and read God's word. It's almost like Sunday school answers. First of all, you should be prayer, in prayer. Prayer is our go-to for crisis moments. It's, it's so often the last thing we do and so often should be the first thing we do. But in the middle of crisis, we do have a tendency to pray way more than when we're in comfort. So that's good. 
Last year I said if we had more time, a lot of us would say, if I had more time, I would pray. A lot of us had a lot of time in 2020. Did your prayer life increase? Do you pray more now 18 months later than you did 18 months ago? Simple question. Can you gauge that in your own life? If first of all, pray is a thing that Paul says to this young pastor leading a church through the middle of crisis, through the middle of persecution, Nero is the guy in charge. Nero's burning Rome down and blaming the Christians. Nero's going to dinner parties, impaling Christians on poles, putting pitch around them and lighting them on fire so he can light up his dinner parties. Nero's a nut job. These Christians are being persecuted. And Paul says, first of all, what I want you to do is pray. I often have thought that. I thought, if I just had a little more time, I would pray. (laughs) I wonder if that's true. And when we pray, the things that we pray for are listed right here. Supplication, that's praying for the needs around you. Prayers, general conversation about anything with God. Intercessions, bringing the burdens of others to the Lord, or thanksgivings, even in prayer, even in the middle of crisis, we're supposed to be giving thanks. That's hard to do, don't you think? And not only are we supposed to pray, but we should pray for who, church? It says it right there. It's, the answer's on the board. Pray for who? Pray for all people. In other words, we are meant to be praying on a regular basis for everybody that you can now think of. Everybody, whether you know them or whether you don't. And the reason is because prayer makes a heart tender toward others. You want to learn how to get along with your enemy? Pray for them. In fact, Jesus said, pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who persecute you. The reason is when you pray for somebody else, your heart changes toward them. There's several people in this world today that I think to myself, I see a lot of them on TV, and I think to myself, Oh, man, I I can't believe they're doing this and they're doing that and they're leading this way or they're making these decisions. And the last thing I think is, look, there's somebody that I need to be praying for. (laughs) During the pandemic, when it started, we spent several occasions together over Zoom praying together. Were you in on that? If you were, you you probably remember that. That Those were good times. I'd see your little faces on my TV, on my uh, computer screen, and we would pray for one another. I believe we need to hang on to that habit of prayer. First of all, pray. When you're in crisis, first of all, pray. That's about it. We could pretty much shut it down right now and go home. But the question is, do we do it? Do we see the necessity in it? Are we neglecting the greatest weapon that we have? And I think that we are. Hearing somebody pray for you is encouraging, right? And when you, when you sit down with somebody and say, let me pray for you, and, and with, with a genuine heart now, keep in mind with a genuine heart, and you hear them pray for you, don't you just go, I'm not, I'm not worthy, oh, I'm not worthy. It's, when somebody prays for you, just feel encouragement. That's not a mistake. Somebody's taking your needs on their shoulders and going to God with it. When you tell me you're praying for me, that is an encouragement to me. When you tell somebody you're praying for them, That's an encouragement. First of all, pray. Last year, this was our challenge. Did you know that? Maybe we've forgotten. It was 18 months ago. This is literally what I said. You may not get to see each other for a while. Pray for one another. Send a text. Send an email. Phone phone them and let them know that you're praying for them. Take this time and and whatever means you have possible because you're going to be shut in your homes for two weeks 
You're going to be shut in your homes for two weeks. So pray for one another and let everybody know that you're praying for them. This is the power of prayer during crisis. I said last year, you have a direct connection to God's heart in prayer. So let's use it. And you don't just pray for people you know. People that you can text that you have their numbers. You pray for all people like we just read. And in case you're thinking to yourself, well, Craig, that's all people in my realms of existence. Aha, it's not. Look at verse two. For who else, church? For kings and who else? All who are in high positions. I don't know about you, but I'm not important enough to know all who are in high positions. But I'm supposed to pray for them. I can complain about them a lot. I can point out the the idiocy of their choices. But I gotta tell you, I don't pray for them nearly as much as I complain about them. Pray for kings, pray for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We pray for our friends, we pray for our family, we pray for our leaders, we pray for our enemies. (laughs) That's all people. Pray for everybody, keep in mind, Paul is telling Timothy to pray for Nero, the guy that's killing the church. Paul, the guy that used to kill the church, but has come to Christ, realizes the only way that's gonna happen is if somebody prays for the person in need. So you know what, I, I, I am really trying the best that I can to pray for my leaders, and I pray that they make wise decisions, but the, most thing, the biggest thing I pray for is that their hearts turn toward Jesus. He's the only one that can help somebody who's thinking not correctly, correctly. God's commission to his church is to pray for all people, intercede for them, pray for them, give thanks for all things. We may not like the way they do things, but if you're a Christian, you're commanded to pray for all people, even political leadership. If you're genuinely praying for others, your heart will demonstrate it in the way that you talk, and the way that you talk about others. It's, it's hard to talk in a, in a very nasty way about somebody if you're regularly praying for them. And, and notice, look at the verse again, that we may lead a peaceful life, quiet, godly, dignified. Isn't that interesting? You know why you pray for kings and all those in authority? So that you can have the benefit of having a means to have a peaceful life, a quiet life, a godly life, and a dignified life. Peaceful means we may freak out on the inside, but on the outside, we bring peace into a world of chaos. We do it because we're praying that God would change the world. Quiet. We're not flurried. We're not, we're not crazy. We're direct. We're on mission, godly. We live godly principles before a changing culture and dignified. Church, we're supposed to be dignified. Isn't that wild? You ever think of that? God has called you to be dignified. That doesn't mean that you wear all the right clothes and you, 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 know, you, you iron and you drive the right cars. And It doesn't mean that. What it means is your attitude resembles Jesus who was dignified beyond belief. This is what we talked about last year. These are almost verbatim words from last year. And yet I think it's even more applicable today. The key is this, this implies that our public behavior 
is meant to demonstrate the reality of our private prayers. Church, your public behavior is meant to demonstrate the reality of your private prayers. And here's what he goes on to say, verse three. This is good. This is good. Not only that, it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This is what God intends for his followers to be like. This is what he intends for his followers to do. Why? Because verse 4 says, because he desires that, what church? What is his desire? That all people be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the why. You want to know why we're commanded to pray for those who make it very difficult to pray for them? You want to know why we go through crisis and have a moment to shine? You want to know why life is tough and not all comfort all the time? Because this is our opportunity to shine. This is when God births his church in new ways. This is when revival happens. It doesn't happen in the middle of comfort. It happens in the middle of crisis. And it only happens when the church does what the church should be doing in the middle of crisis. We pray for all people because Jesus loves all people. Bottom line. We pray for all people because Jesus loves all people and what's important to him is important to us. God draws all people to Jesus through our prayers and our public life that demonstrates the content of those prayers. Listen, there are no thems and there are no uses. <laughs> I know we hear this all the time. Well, what bucket are you in? I don't want to be in a bucket. I'm not in a bucket. Don't label me. <laughs> I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I wear that label proudly and that is it. I want to lead my life in a way that pleases the Lord in a dignified way. So what? Number one, so what? Real encouragement comes through prayer. Real encouragement comes through prayer. Prayer encourages our own heart first. When you pray, if you're praying, if you put some time aside and just pray, even if you're not used to it, even if you're unfamiliar with it, I've always said, and, and, and if you'll hear this from me once, you'll hear it a thousand times, pray out loud. Pray out loud so that you hear yourself and then set some time aside to do it. You can do it in the shower. You can do it when you're driving a car. You can do it while you're doing other things. You can do it while your kids are driving you nuts. You can do it while you're doing all of those other things. That's fine. But set some time aside when you can talk to God out loud. Prayer, why? Because it will encourage your own heart. Prayer has always been about our hearts crying out to God. Listen, prayer is not about somebody hearing me pray. Prayer is about God hearing me pray. It's just he and me. It's just he and you. And when you pray, and he loves to hear you pray, he will give you a dose of encouragement. In my life, that's how it has constantly been. It's amazing how transparent you become when you pray. By the way, you've already heard that happen this morning. When you pray out loud, you lay a transparent reality about what you're saying to God, and it will draw out some authenticity like a few other things. Prayer in its simplest terms is 
is no visible response. It is simply me talking to God, crying out to God, sharing my heart with God. It will bring me encouragement. Church, it will bring you encouragement. And the second thing is prayer brings my life into a peaceful trajectory with God and with others. The more we pray, the more we align our lives up to, to where God wants them to be. We find peace when we pray for others. We find peace with others who are divisive toward us. Prayer brings peace inwardly and outwardly. So the question is, after everything is stripped away, do you still have peace? My guess is, if the answer is no, when everything, if I lost everything, I would be unpeaceful, I'd be not peaceful, you need to spend more time in prayer. This is a tough one for me, I gotta tell you. I mean, I already revealed to you, my first response when I found out everything shut down and we're not meeting as a church for an indefinite amount of time was my hand gripped around the steering wheel and I had a bit of a panic attack. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna care for a church that I can't see anymore? For me, that's my life. That's what I do. I mean, it's not my job. It's my life. For me, that was being torn away. And I thought to myself, how are we going to do this? What if somebody gets sick? What do I do? What if somebody's in need? What do I do? What if somebody needs toilet paper? Where do I go? <laughs> I had no peace in that two-hour drive home. I only felt fear. It was terrible because I was afraid of what might happen. And church, I had to come to terms with this truth over and over in my life, and especially in that car on my drive home that day, I had to come to terms with this truth. Ultimately, I am not the one who brings peace. I can't deliver peace to you. <laughs> I wish I could. Even if I carried all your burdens for you, you'd find new ones. I can't bring peace to your life. You'll never have peace in your life. You know what happened to me yesterday? Yesterday, this terrible smell was coming out of my house. I walked into the house, I'm thinking to myself, who went to the bathroom in here? This is awful. So I started interviewing. What did you eat today? What did you eat today? But it wasn't that. I went downstairs and there was water all over the backside of a shower that just got installed through a variety of colorful means, I might say. And all that junk had come out on the, and, it, and it stunk and I'm thinking to myself, You've got to be kidding. It took me forever to get this thing in here, and now it's leaking? That's not bad enough. This morning, I wake up. Beth comes in and says, uh, Craig, I hate to tell you, but the shower won't turn off upstairs. My shower wouldn't turn off. And as far as I know, it's still going now. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding. And you know what's going to happen when I fix the downstairs? and then I'll fix the upstairs, you know what's gonna happen? Oh, something else is gonna happen. It never stops, don't you feel like that? It's always something. The question is not, is your life going to be a peaceful, comfort existence? The question is, can you have peace in the middle of crisis? Can you find peace when everything leaks? <laughs> can you find peace when the pandemic never stops? Can you find peace when your family 
chooses not to talk to you because of decisions you're making? Can you find peace when there's discontent? I wanted peace, but I was fearful. But ultimately, I had to come to terms. I'm not the one who brings peace. That's God's job. That's his realm of existence. It's where he loves to work. And prayer gives me a chance to lay it all at his door. He's not going to show up and fix my shower. I get that. But he can give me peace while the shower's leaking and my water bill's going up. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Verse 7, church, would you say this with me? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. have no idea how much he cares for you. I don't know why bad things happen. I don't even pretend to answer that question anymore. All I know is you can have peace in the middle of crisis because God is the God of peace. The opposite, by the way, of peace is not chaos. The opposite of peace is not chaos. The opposite of peace is fear. God's job is to rule your life with his peace. Satan's job is to steal that peace away and replace it with fear. You want proof? You know what the next verse in 1 Peter says? 1 Peter 5, look at verse 8. The next verse where it says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. You know what the next verse is? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The opposite of peace, or, or the opposite of chaos is not peace. The opposite of, of, of peace is fear. And then verse nine says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds, of, can you believe this is so applicable? Knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. You're not alone in this. Everybody's going through this. And some people have it far worse than you do. For me, I'm complaining about two showers leaking at the same time. Some people would die for a cup of water. Some people are dying because they don't have a cup of water. Some of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world are being dragged out of their homes and being persecuted and killed and their livelihoods are being taken away, their properties being taken away because they're standing firm in their faith. How do you find peace in the midst of that? Only through, only through Christ. Do you know the Bible says, don't be afraid or something like it over a hundred times? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Jesus, it was one of his favorite things to say. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Do you know why he said that? Because Satan is the author of fear. God is the author of peace. And he says to us, this is one of Chris's favorite verses, I know, Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, apart from him, knowing it, planning it, dealing with it. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Some of us have more than others. But Jesus, God knows every single one. He knows you better than you know yourself. So, so what do we do about that? Fear not, therefore. You are of far more value than a bird. Isn't that great? You've got to realize who God who God is making you into, who, how much he thinks of you. If he takes care of the sparrows, he'll much, much more take care of you. So what do we do with this one? What do we do with this one? Here's what I would suggest. Change your playlist. Change your radio. Change your TV. Change your input. Change it. 
because you will not find encouragement in this world. It's getting harder to find. Spend that time when you receive all those negative impulses, spend that time on your knees or by your bedside or with somebody else in prayer. Replace fear with prayer. And we're going to help you do that this week, actually. Here's a practical note. If you're going to one of our community groups, you're going to be challenged to pray a little bit this week. In fact, Mike Boyle at the other campus put together a little prayer uh, activity for us this week. If you want to jump in on one of our CGs, go online. You'll find them on there. You can jump in this week on any one of our CGs. We're all, all doing the same thing, these are community groups, and we're going to spend a lot of time in those groups praying, praying specifically for things this week. My, my goal is to take on this fight like never before. I'm done with the negative in, in, impact influences in my life. I want to spend at least that much of more time praying to God. Number two, find quietness through your faith. The gospel is called the gospel of peace for a reason. <laughs> Remember, it says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Why should I embrace quietness? Because quietness helps me develop rhythms in my life. Quietness is when I say, okay, this is my moment to be quiet. You come to church so you can hear the audio because if you're home, you can't hear any of it. <laughs> you come to church because you, 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 you receive a, a blessing and encouragement in our time together this morning. You can do that all week long. Take advantage of the quiet to build your relationship with the Lord. This is what I said last year. Resist the natural urge to spend your time fretting, worrying, and allowing stress to control your mind. God has given you this moment, I said, Use it to create a new godly habit of being quiet with him. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I, saw, I saw videos of people online making obstacle courses in their houses, playing golf in their houses, even surfing down, down stairways in their houses through the front door. Did you see any of these videos? People had time on their hands, and they were doing all kinds of stuff with their time. But I got to tell you, I wonder how many Christians took advantage of it to spend more time in prayer. <laughs> we just watch more YouTube videos. I regret not spending more time in prayer last year. Listen, don't let Satan send you, sell you cheap excuses for missing out on opportunities. Number three, lead dignified lives in the middle of the chaos. What do I have to do to live a dignified life? What does that look like? This is the public peace of godliness. I would suggest maybe the same thing that I would last year. Send an encouraging note to somebody by name today on social media. <laughs> Let's redeem social media. Let's do our best to redeem social media because it's more and more discouraging than it is encouraging. Would you not agree? And yet we flock to it like, we're, like we, need the, we need the fix every day. Write an encouragement to someone by name on social media. Offer stuff to your neighborhood. Remember the, how we did that with toilet paper? Be, be a neighbor to somebody through all of this. Give more thanks to God in your prayers. Quote this verse to everybody you see. I remind you, this is in 2 Timothy 1.6, I remind you to flan the, fan the flame of the gift of God which is in you, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. God is not a God that that relishes in the fact that we're fearful. 
This is why Jesus constantly said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, fear not. The opposite of fear is peace. Take this message into the world that is living by, do you realize how many decisions are made out of fear these days? Why, why are you making this decision? Because I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that. I'm waiting for the, for, the, for the news to tell me the next thing I should be afraid of. We live in a world that is, that is driven to make major decisions out of fear. And I don't care what your decisions are, but don't make them for that reason. Don't let fear cause you to make decisions that change your life. Live without fear and demonstrate that you believe God is in control. I'm not talking about any particular thing. I want you to know that. I'm just challenging you. Turn on the news. And it seems like every conversation ends with, and if you don't do this, you'll die. That is, that is fear. Why do you think somebody would even say that? They want you to make a decision based on fear. If you make a decision, make a decision, but don't base it on that. I may be learning I can't trust stock markets, airlines, income from my businesses, social, school classrooms, schedules, stores with toilet paper. <laughs> now they're telling us we can't have Christmas because you might not have toys. I mean, don't you get, doesn't it just, it hasn't gotten better in 18 months. This is how we started the journey and it's not getting better. Church, we need to be the light in this darkness. We need to speak reason to people that are led by fear. Like I said, you can make whatever decisions you want to make. It's between you and the Lord when you make that decision. But for God's sake, don't end your conversation with you should do this too or you'll die. Be encouraged, church. God is in control. He never has stopped being in control. And the fact of the matter is, even if you die, you win. <laughs> right? Even if you die, you win. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Gain is better than what was before. Gain is gain. Be encouraged. You are equipped for crisis. I don't know what, the, what tomorrow holds for you. You might get sick. You might lose your business. You might lose your 401k. You might lose your job. You, you might, I don't know what's going to happen with you, but God does. He never wakes up and goes, oh, I didn't see that coming. He knows exactly what's going on. So I guess you should probably talk to him a little bit about it. And when you talk to him about it, let the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'll give you this one last verse, 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Break this down. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. My question to you is, are you alive? Yes, then you have all you need to live this life with godliness and be an overcomer. You have everything you need to live above the fray. The middle of crisis is the moment to exhibit your training. As one politician so eloquently put it, never let a crisis go to waste. You're in the middle of crisis, 
Stand up for Jesus. Be a light. Live in peace. Live in a dignified way. Don't make decisions out of fear. So my question to you at the end of this message is, do you think this was applicable 18 months ago? Do you think it's more applicable today? Isn't that interesting? My guess is it will even 18 months from now. So let's put this into practice. Be encouragement and be an encouragement to others. Church, be, an, be encouraged and be an encouragement to others. Nothing can happen to you that God, God wakes up and says, I didn't see that coming. You are right where you need to be. You are called for such a time as this. Comforts may be hard to find, but God is in control. He always has been. Crisis may get worse, but God is in control. Begin by praying, spending more time in prayer, praying for others, even if you don't know where to begin. Take advantage. Remember Benjamin Franklin's great words, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Stop making excuses and start being salt and light in the middle of this crisis because you'll have lots of opportunities over the next 18 months. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word that never changes and the truths in it that constantly spur us on to, to love and good works. Thank you that you don't withhold truth from us, but you reveal it to us so that we know how to live in the middle of crisis. For some of us, the crisis seems to be worse than it was 18 months ago. For some of us, we're still living in the fear that we had 18. For some of us, it's more fear than it was 18 months ago. For some of us, we're not even able to talk to our relatives anymore because of what's happened over the last 18 months. And our loved ones, it's become a divided world. In a world that promised unity, we've only seen more division. Father, may it not be so with us. May we be encouraged by the truth of your word that you are in control and this is our moment to shine. And whatever happens tomorrow, may it only increase our faith that you are in control. Thank you that you give us your word that explains all of this to us. And no matter how the times change, the truths never do. Thank you for a church that we can have where we can challenge one another in these ways and have differing opinions on all kinds of differing subjects. But we can agree that you are good all the time, and all the time, you are good. Thank you for this time with you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.